Hello, welcome to the BV Podcast, your genuine slice of rural Dorset life in the month of May 2022. I'm Jenny Devitt. And I'm Terry Bennett. Hello, I'm Laura Hitchcock, editor of the BV magazine. Amongst the worry, anger and fear that seems to dominate our screens and airwaves and bills at the moment, it feels a little heartless to share a few peaceful and contented thoughts. And yet April was a quietly lovely month in Hitchcock House. Most important of all, Sutton number one finally came home. And after almost 18 long months of chatting through screens, there he suddenly was, taller, I swear, though I realise it's far more likely that I've shrunk, skinnier, smilier, new habits and words I didn't instinctively know, but here. Having your big children far away is hard, isn't it? And then, among the delicious peacefulness of a temporarily full nest, we found time to finally recruit the last two pieces in our podcast puzzle. Welcome, Terry and Jenny, everyone. And the first audio version of the BV was on air. It's been many, many months in the planning, and we have been bowled over by the response, often from the very least likely sources. We were ready for a slow build. Just 26 downloads in our first week would put us in the top 50% of podcasts globally. Imagine then cautiously opening the stats to see if we'd made our target of over 25 to see 377 downloads. One sad note this month was the untimely passing of the much-loved Philip Hart. John Dart's beautiful obituary is sure to raise a smile of recognition to most long-time residents of Stones. Lastly, please do take a moment to go and look at Graham Bannister's beautiful front cover hair. Graham's been submitting the most beautiful hair photography for months and has always been kept off the front cover at the last minute for no fault of his own photography, and this month he finally made it. And I'm sure it's just as important to him as the image he had printed in The Express, The Telegraph and The Times last week. I'll see you next month. Laura. How a Dorset Kitchen is so very much more than a recipe book, this article by Rachel Rowe. When Patty Lowe and her family moved to a large house in Woolland with a traditional Victorian greenhouse and an acre to grow vegetables, it inspired a journey of creating nutritious recipes. Over 10 years, Patty and her daughter Gertie tested and refined family favourites, while husband Gordon provided technical know-how. Twins Archie and Jamie loved trying the various creations emerging from the kitchen, with Archie helping with preparation and cooking. So that her children could use the recipes at university, Patty uploaded them to a website. However, son Archie, at 21, insisted the photography should be better, and set about creating beautiful images of the feasts made in the low kitchen. He used the garden and a small studio he set up in the house, saying, the pictures should make people feel hungry, Mum. On the 8th of September 2020, all that changed. Archie went off to work in a local racing yard, as usual, and later that morning, Patty got a phone call. There'd been an accident. Archie had been tragically killed in a horse-riding accident on Oakford Hill. Everything the family knew and loved about life was blown apart. It's a beautiful place, Patty reflects, and for someone who loved life as Archie did, I cannot think of a more beautiful place to spend your last moments. Archie had been passionate about horses from the age of 10. Patty smiles as she reminisces. He got the ugliest pony to ride. It had a walleye and he called it the cow. It was actually called Manny, but he loved it so much. And he went on to trial for the Great Britain team and was recognised as one of the best young riders in the country. In fact, 
People talk at Pony Club of how the ugliest pony in Britain went on to be the best in the country. And Archie was always so positive, she said. He would always say hello to people or say what a nice dog they had. As Patty and her family were dealing with the aftermath of Archie's death, friends suggested she create a cookbook. More than a 100 recipes were selected and illustrated with Archie's photography. Tempting dishes such as mushroom risotto with pepperonata, courgette and walnut bake, just in time for summer gluts, and pork with chilli burst from the pages. For the last two years of his life, Archie was vegetarian, so there's a large section of plant-based ideas. Poignantly delicious-looking doughnuts are on the back cover, but there's no recipe in the book. Patty explains, Archie wanted to make doughnuts just like Krispy Kremes and mastered a technique. Each Friday he made them and took them to work for colleagues, but never told us the recipe. All the proceeds from A Dorset Kitchen are going to two charities. The Air Ambulance, that tried so hard to save Archie, is one beneficiary. In addition, the Archie Lowe Foundation has been established to support young riders, especially boys, to learn riding skills. The Archie and Manny Bursary will help people who might not otherwise have been able to pursue their dream of riding. It's a partnership award in collaboration with the West Wilts British Eventing, with the first prize of £1,000. Does Patty have a favourite recipe? Ooh, chicken lasagna, and Archie loved the pad thai. The book sold out all 1,000 copies within six weeks. More have been printed as word gets out of how good the book is. The recipes are easy to follow, and delicious, by the way. I'm curious as to how the book is helping Patty and the family begin to heal after such a tragic accident. Patty says, Just before I wake up each day, I wonder what to do. And then, as I wake, I think, Today I can do something good and help people. It's easy to sink into self-pity. If I can make this charity work and give a little bit of Archie to people, good can come from this, and the pain is eased. To buy a copy of A Dorset Kitchen, visit www.adorsetkitchen.com. That's www.adorsetkitchen.com. And more events to support the Archie Lowe Foundation and Air Ambulance will be held in the near future. Clamping Down on Rural Crime by Andrew Livingston For over two and a half years, Police Constable Sebastian Haggett has been deterring and solving rural crime in Dorset, including many hot fuzz moments, such as hiding in bushes for poachers. In North Dorset, a lot of the rural crime team time is spent hunting poachers who engage in the illegal activity of hare coursing, whereby individuals trespass on private land with vehicles and dogs to chase, catch and kill brown hare. This causes serious damage to land and crops. Speaking with the BV magazine, the 31-year-old police constable explained why North Dorset is a prime location for hair coursing. The north and east of Dorset see increased levels of activity because of the large flat open fields favoured by brown hair. For two years now, Operation Galileo has been in effect nationwide to clamp down on hair poaching. The operation involves sharing intelligence between different forces. PC Haggett states that Dorset Police works closely with Hampshire and Wiltshire. In January 2022, we conducted a joint evening operation with Hampshire and Wiltshire Police, which saw the arrest of two individuals for poaching and a vehicle seized in Dorset. New laws have recently been emplaced 
to further clamp down on the illegal activity. The changes, which came into effect on the 28th of April, mean that poachers found guilty can now face up to six months in jail. Nine days prior to the changes in law, three men from Essex and one from Cambridgeshire pleaded guilty to the charges of trespassing in the pursuit of game after being caught by the rural crime team in North Dorset. In total, the four men were fined £3,255 in the Poole Magistrates Court on April 19th. We are committed to working with our rural communities as well as our national and local partners and take reports of this nature seriously. In this case, we were able to detain the offenders at the scene and subsequently bring them before the courts. Since 2020, there has been a 20% reduction in rural crime. The Dorset Constable believes that this is due to much better cooperation with more than just other police forces. In the case of fly-tipping, we work with the council to share intelligence on top offenders. I can't go into specifics of the tactics being used, but we are seeing positive outcomes from that effective working partnership. Constable Haggett went on to explain the differences in working with the RCT as opposed to the neighbourhood units. He said, In the RCT, our base is to look at agricultural, heritage, wildlife and waste crime. However, we will sometimes investigate other elements if our core offenders are involved in that area of criminality. This allows us to disrupt and deter those repeat offenders. Under 20% of the UK population lives in rural areas, and that, coupled with the fact that only 1.7% of the UK workforce is in agriculture, contributes to a lack of public awareness of crimes that affect the countryside. Despite this, PC Haggett believes that there is a growing awareness of rural crime and its effects. He went on to say, There is a growing number of rural crime teams being created nationally. Charities such as Crime Stoppers are running rural crime-specific campaigns, and there is even a university course around rural and environmental crime. We are keen to share the stories of farmers to help increase public awareness of rural crime. On Facebook, we have used hashtag rural crime stories to publish stories allowing the victim to share with members of the public what had occurred. One of the important roles of the Dorset Rural Crime Team is to prevent crimes from occurring in the first place. The four men arrested and charged in Poole in April were caught due to a report from a civilian who noticed suspicious activity. It is important to report all incidents of rural crime, but also any suspicious incidents. The latter often remains unreported, but it is important. They can be the final piece in the puzzle we need to take action against a suspect. Intelligence is the lifeblood of our work, telling us who is causing the most harm and where these incidents are happening. Constable Haggett and the rest of the team also work with farmers to help ensure that everything is being done on farms to prevent thefts from occurring. Should a farmer want to have a free crime prevention survey, they can get in contact. I would also advise any rural businesses or farmer to make sure that they are signed up to FarmWatch so they know what is happening locally. This may include suspicious vehicles to look out for. One recent crime story shared by police on social media. I want to remain anonymous because I don't want poachers to know this is me talking and target my land in the future. The truth is I must speak out and I am glad to have this opportunity to do so. The modern day poacher is not trying to feed their family. They used to drive across my crops night after night, destroying the hedges, gates and anything else that came into their path. They did so under the cover of darkness. 
their acts shielded by the remoteness of the farm. My fields had become a playground for the most barbaric and pointless crimes where they would film their activities, sharing them live to others who would be betting on the outcome. What dog will get the kill? How long will it take? Who will get the deer with the biggest antlers? It wasn't just about the economic loss. It was truly barbaric how some of these animals were killed. When it was at its worst, in my frustration, I blamed the authorities and felt helpless. That's when I turned to the police and worked with the rural crime team. Together we discussed a plan where we could both work together to stop this. I learnt what to look for, what to use to gather evidence and what crime preventative measures I could put in place. The very nature of what we were dealing with meant I wasn't going to solve this alone and needed not only the help of the police but that of my neighbours too. Very quickly a positive momentum picked up in my area and together land managers, landowners, farm staff, gamekeepers and other rural businesses were reporting suspicious vehicles and anything relating to rural crime in the area. Together we are working together for a better and safer future. Everyone has a part to play and whilst it was not obvious to me at the start, I soon learned it was me and others like me working with the police that could make the difference. If you are a victim of rural crime, then report it, no matter how irrelevant you might think it is. It could just be the missing piece of a bigger puzzle. Storm clouds are brewing on the horizon at the Vale Pantry, article by Rachel Rowe. The Vale Pantry, the social supermarket in Stermanster Newton, has been running since November 2020 and is highly successful. However, over the past few weeks, the team are seeing a growing trend as they receive new requests for help. The cost of living is affecting many, but life is getting significantly more precarious for our more vulnerable members of the community. Carol Jones and her team started the Vale Pantry in Stermister Newton with 100 clients. That quickly rose to 150, but today there are 240 families on the books. In the last couple of weeks, the team has seen a significant rise in requests for assistance. Carol said, This last week we've had an unprecedented number of new applications. Around 70% of them now come from pensioners who've never asked for help before in their lives. So many are proud and have been in tears about asking for help. It's incredibly sad. It was a surprise to us about the number of people of retirement age who are on pensions or working and unable to make ends meet. And older people always feel guilty about it as they think someone else is worse off than them. The pantry has looked at ways of making sure there's room for everyone who needs it. For example, clients who are beginning to return to work have access on a fortnightly basis. The end of the month before people are paid is the time of heaviest demand. In the last week of April, the pantry received 12 new applications and requests continue to flow in. That's a 5% rise in a week. Just imagine if things continue to rise at that rate. Many of us are checking prices right now and have noticed the rising costs everywhere. Most of us are looking at ways to cut back on spending. So what is tipping people over the edge? Carol has seen the plight of people stuck on contracts. She says... We have people who've looked at cancelling subscriptions such as Sky or mobile phones to cut back. However, they found they're on a contract that they cannot get out of and that's leading to more debt. There's no leeway. And then there are people who are on a meter for their energy supplies for all kinds of reasons, including previous debt. Those people can't change their tariffs, so the bills are higher. 
One family had a bill of £180 for just nine days. And come October, it'll be worse. It's a perfect storm. There are also reports of people not being able to afford the basics. For example, families have reported to Carol that they've received notification that they can no longer access NHS dentistry in Sturmster Newton. She says, One parent told me they can't afford £36 for each child to have a checkup at the dentist. The team are looking at tips for people to save energy. Carol continued, For example, a slow cooker uses significantly less energy than a four-ring hob, and you have a one-pot meal. The team already received generous donations of fresh vegetables from Gold Hill Organic Farm during the growing season. Carol's also working to help Ukrainian refugees settle in the area. She says, We've pledged to support all the Ukrainians who need our help. She's looking ahead to the colder months and says, It will be a challenging year. We're pulling all kinds of threads of help together. Ideally, I'd like our own citizens' advisor, who can work with people, to see what benefits they might be eligible for, such as free school meals for children. It would also be nice to have a hardship fund. Carol is quite clear. If people can set up a standing order for a regular donation, it would help us a lot. We're now a registered charity, so we can claim gift aid. Our running costs are £3,000 a week at present. People think everything is free, but we have to buy in the food. If I could raise our revenue to 4000 or £5,000, it'll help us support more people in need and be able to plan ahead. And to find out more about Vale Pantry, either to register for help or to donate, contact www.valepantry.co.uk or call 07968 348 481. And I'll give you that information again. You can contact either online www.valepantry.co.uk or the following mobile 07968 348 481. Philip Hart, 1958 to 2022. I'll always remember his infectious laugh and wicked sense of humour by John Dart. Philip was born in 1958 growing up in Sturmitster Newton, where he attended primary school before moving on to Blunford Upper School. Enjoying a brief spell as a Tesco management trainee, Philip joined the family business in 1979, which was then a successful agricultural steel fabrication and hardware business. He soon set to work steering this well-established business in a new direction, turning it into a thriving country department store before taking over directorship from his father, Eddie, in the early 90s. I first met Philip when I was working at the original Blackmore Vale magazine. He would turn up at the office with visuals for adverts that he'd cut and pasted together, usually to a completely different shape than the advert he'd booked. Luckily, we seemed to be on the same wavelength, and I was able to decipher his ideas and turn them into what he was after. As I got to know him better... We'd spend more time chatting and partaking in some light-hearted banter, which was the first time I experienced his infectious laugh. It was during these chats that he would always inquire about how the family were doing, a phrase that will forever remind me of Philip. At the time, I was new to parenting, and he took great delight in my lack of sleep, stories of leaking nappies, and basic ineptitude of being a parent. And it was clear that family played such an important part in Philip's life. 
proud of his father and grandfather's lineage in the family business, besotted with Wendy his wife and childhood sweetheart, his sister Linda and his two sons Jonathan and Graham and their families, and also his extended family, which is what he called the employees that worked with him. He surrounded himself with everything that made him happy. So how did I end up becoming part of Philip's extended family? I nearly didn't. He sent me an email, and right at the bottom, he'd make a passing comment that they were looking for somebody to do their marketing, which I initially missed. But that was the way with Philip. He wasn't showy. He didn't make a fuss. He just went about running his business in his own unique style. I can still remember my first day. The London 2012 Summer Olympics had just come to a close. The sun was shining, and Philip was there waiting to greet me in the car park. The pride he had in showing me around and introducing me to everyone confirmed I'd made the right choice. Although a shrewd and successful businessman, full of ideas and visions to better the business, Philip always had time to talk and would bend over backwards to help you. His infectious laugh and wicked sense of humour could diffuse even the tensest of situations. It could also get him into trouble on occasions. That laugh never failed to put a smile on your face. But for all of his joviality, Philip was also a much-respected pillar of the local community, providing employment to a rural area, initiating and contributing to local events, and supporting local charities with vigour and passion. Another fond memory was seeing Philip bestowed with an Honorary Achievement Award in 2019 for his hard work and dedication to the housewares sector and for taking his family business into its 100th year. It was an honour to have known Philip as a friend and to have worked for him. I shall miss him immensely, as I suspect will anyone who has had the good fortune to have known him. Dorset Chamber Auction raises over £11,000 for Ukraine DEC. Article by Laura Hitchcock. Items donated for the auction bids included signed AFC Bournemouth shirts, VIP tickets to the Bournemouth Air Festival, holidays and hotel stays, surf lessons, a laptop, a signed cricket bat, an Audi A5 cabriolet for the weekend, lunches, dinners, afternoon teas, fashion wear, events tickets, hampers and more. Chamber CEO Ian Gerling said, The money raised will help save lives and relieve the suffering of people fleeing this horrific war. It's easy to feel powerless in such situations, but this is a way of really making a difference. TV personality Martin Roberts and Dorset businessman Paul Tansey met at a refugee camp while on separate mercy missions delivering medicines, supplies and emergency relief. Martin, who's the star of TV's Homes Under the Hammer, and former Chamber President Paul, spoke at an emotionally charged opening of bids in the auction. Paul, who's chief executive of the Intergage Group, travelled to the border to deliver aid after linking up with the From Bournemouth to Ukraine charity. He told of his experiences at the border with some heroic volunteers helping refugees and risking their lives to drive aid into Ukraine, as well as some horrific stories of children travelling alone to Poland and others dying overnight while queuing at the border. He added... You're not the same guy when you come back after seeing these lives in bits. What Dorset Chamber has done really does matter and really will make a difference. Martin added, I saw children exactly like my son and daughter who'd lost absolutely everything. It just strikes you in the face. People are crossing the border, 
not knowing anything about what's ahead of them and what the rest of their lives holds. They arrive at the refugee centre and are wrapped in so much love and support. And that's where what we're doing makes so much difference. It will help save lives, but also lets them know that the world has not forgotten about them. Jenny, I'll put you on the spot and say which of the auction prizes would be best for you. Oh, no, you got me there, I think. Um, Presumably not the Bournemouth AFC shirts. No, not that, nor the Audi Cabriolet for the weekend, because it might rain, and so you couldn't have the top turn. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, certainly not sign cricket back. I, I think a, a, a laptop. Right. I'd maybe go for the surf lessons, too. <laughs> Good K- for you, kid myself. Kid myself, I'm younger than I am. Good for you. The Iron Man of Sturminster, an article by Tracy Beardsley. At the age of 11, Ian Ring was mucking around with metal. It was time well spent. He's now running a World Heritage Ironwork business in Sturminster Newton. As managing director of Newton Forge, Ian Ring would be the first to say he's still happier in the workshop with hammer and anvil than in front of his computer. When we meet, his hands and sweatshirt are covered in carbon iron dust. He's just finished helping his team constructing a stunning iron spiral staircase for a private client in London. Newton Forge began life in a chicken shed in 1980 on Ian's uncle's farm near Newton Hill and now has a portfolio of clients which reads like a who's who of historical buildings. They include the Royal Courts of Justice, the Langham Hotel, Hotel Café Royal, Barclay Square, Blackfriars Bridge, Kingston Lacey and numerous other National Trust properties. Ian's about to tender for roof restoration on the Houses of Parliament and the famous glasshouse at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh. Many projects demand non-disclosure and confidentiality agreements. Ian has worked inside some incredible palaces and magnificent mansions, but he must remain tight-lipped about them. Despite all the grandeur of these huge historical assignments in glamorous cities around the UK, his favourite project is just down the road in Sturmitz Newton. The mayor has just unveiled the restored town pump. A car ploughed into it and the pump, which dates back to 1908, was smashed. It was a bit like putting Humpty Dumpty back together, Ian explains. It was very rewarding as it's a historical landmark for the town. Being local to our offices, I see it every day. As an apprentice blacksmith straight from school, Ian exhibited at local country shows, selling handmade fire baskets and wall lights. Six years later, the master blacksmith and his wife Karen started their own company, which progressed from Chicken Shed to a barn in Stalbridge Lane, then to Manston, and finally Butts Pond Industrial Estate, where it's been for the past three years. The 22-strong team has more than 200 years' experience between them. There's also keen support for future generations. Students from Kingston Moorwood College learn metalworking skills on day release, and some former students are now on the Forge payroll. Ian's passion for his trade is obvious. He says, I always knew I wanted to do traditional high-end metalwork. And he's true to his word. The company's symbol is an old blacksmith's hammer, and most of the work is done by hand, although the Forge also has state-of-the-art equipment. We do get some work engineered or laser-profiled. Sometimes we may need 3D models, which is where the modern side kicks in. Restoration is now a higher proportion of the work in the forge alongside reproductions matching original historical ironwork. We're about to start work on some damaged gates at Hyde Park, 
That's a big job in itself. But we've also got to work out the logistics of getting the gates back to Dorset for repair and work out what we can do safely on site in London. It's no surprise Ian's not a great sleeper. I do a lot of problem solving at night, he admits. How to crane huge iron railings over the top of a skyscraper when you're installing balustrades at the Royal College of Surgeons. That sort of thing keeps me awake at night. I'll come to the office next morning, admittedly a bit sleepy, but I can tell the team this is how we're going to do it. Quick fire questions with Ian. A-list dinner party guests, past or present? Hmm, isn't Bard Kingdom Brunel, Muhammad Ali and Winston Churchill? I'd also love to talk to a blacksmith from the past. I write poetry, it's not very good, about the ghosts of blacksmiths. When I handle ironwork that's been created hundreds of years ago, I can't help but think about the boy or man who held it first. Was it the apprentice in his shiny shoes and apron? I love to envisage the backstory behind the historical object. Books on your bedside? I'm an audiobook fan. I struggle to get to sleep. I can tune in and may eventually doze off. It's easier than sitting up and reading a book in bed. I get through dozens, and they're great when I'm on the road working on projects away from home. Favourite TV show? I don't get much time to watch TV, but I do like the repair shop. In fact, I'd love to be on the team. Yes, I can certainly understand that one. I wouldn't mind being on. I, I love that programme too. I, do you ever watch it? I watch it all the time. I really like the repair <laughs> shop. It, it absolutely amazes me, some of the things they achieve. And, and it's just, people are just so uh, amazed and delighted, uh, you know, and the tears when something, some treasured thing that looks like nothing to you or me is repaired and they get it back. It's just wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Covent Garden Dance Company director Matt Brady takes on The Random 19, this interview by Laura Hitchcock. Matt Brady, who's director of the Covent Garden Dance Company, who created Ballet Under the Stars at Hatch House, is celebrating the event's return this summer after a three-year absence. First question, what's your relationship with the Blackmore Vale, the loose North Dorset area, not us? I've lived in the area for nearly 40 years on and off. It's very much my base and where my parents settled, so it's really home. One of my enduring memories of the Blackmore Vale was in my early 20s. I used to exercise horses for a point-to-point stables owned by the trainer John Duffersey. John used to have a copy of a magazine rolled up and would clip me around the ear with it every time I turned up late to ride, which was quite often. It didn't make me arrive any earlier, so he was always waiting for me. As a child, I'd spend much of the holidays fishing on the star for pike, long days of walking riverbanks and desperately trying to catch the monster pike. A lot of time was also spent riding in the starhead woods on the badly behaved ponies of many friends, being thrown off frequently and having to walk home. Second question, what was the last song you sang out loud in your car? That's a tough one. I'm not really sure, but I have a vague recollection of singing Zero by Imagine Dragons very loudly with my stepson Jack not so long ago and the dog hiding his head under the blankets in the Land Rover. (laughs) Who's your celebrity's crush? Oh, that's a secret in case they're reading this or if I meet them. If I had to say, then the genius that's Jodie Comer is wonderful, but so is Scarlett Johansson, both so talented and brilliant. It's a Friday night. You have the house to yourself and no work is allowed. What are you going to do? Uh, That's between a man and his four walls. But realistically, 
Probably something really boring like DIY. I have a passion for restoring and making things. I recently built a cabin on the lake. Very proud of that. Love staying in it when it's not rented out. See it on Insta at The Bruton Boathouse. What was the last movie you watched and would you recommend it? I actually had time to watch two movies one Sunday night recently. The Gentleman by Guy Ritchie, one of my fave directors, followed by A Good Year by Ridley Scott. I love this movie. I've seen it so many times, but it reignites my love for France and living there. The crackling heat, the effortless shabby chic. I lived in France for three years in my late teens and early 20s. It was one of the happiest times of my life. What's your comfort meal? Mac and cheese. I make a really delicious one. It's an old recipe and I love it. I do have a second choice, Heinz ravioli on toast with grated parmesan on top. What would you like to tell the 15-year-old you? Stop worrying about everything. Oh, and finish your studies. The best crisps flavour? I love a Pringle, but also love uh, prawn cocktail walkers. Difficult to choose. Actually, quavers also have a strong place in my life. And the best biscuit for dunking? This is random, but probably a fig roll. Does that count? Or is roll excluded? VIP Chalky Hobnob, if so. What shop can you not pass without going in? Oh, a great old-fashioned fishing tackle shop. I spent so much of my childhood on rivers and lakes in the Shah, fishing and walking. There were some really wonderful old-school tackle shops when I was a kid round here. They were always filled with amazing curiosities and inventions, spinning lures and hand-tied flies. It was what I spent my pocket money on. There was always something new to buy to try and catch that legendary monster pike that lurked in the deep pool beneath the weir on the star. <laughs> what book did you read last year that stayed with you? What made you love it? I reread Captain Corelli's Mandolin. It's one of those books. My father gave it to me years ago and said, you must read it. I then gave it back to him when he was fighting the big sea, a battle he lost in 2016. It gave him great joy again and always gives me great joy. And yes, spoiler alert, I cry like a baby when Carlo dies. Cats or dogs? My amazing dog Panda, who's three, is staring at me right now. So what can I say? Tibetan terriers are great at sulking, so my hands are tied. He's always there for me and always happy to see me. What was the last gift you gave someone? Flowers to my amazing mum. She's going through a really tough time at the moment, fighting bone cancer. She's just amazing. What's your most annoying trait? All of them. <laughs> the most annoying is maybe driving my PR mad by always having a million things happening all at the same time. And usually she's on the phone having to listen to me do them. She is long-suffering. Tell us about one of the best evenings you've ever had. Honestly? The 10th anniversary celebrations of the ballets at Hatch House in July 2019. It sounds self-serving, but after 10 years of struggle to keep the dream alive, it all came together in such a spectacular way that made everything worthwhile. The whole team felt it. We were already sold out for 2020, just months after that 10th anniversary show. It was a testament to everyone's amazing work and artistry. Covid, unfortunately, had other ideas, obviously, so it's great to be back producing our flagship show at Hatch House this summer. What's your secret superpower? Never giving up. When putting on live events and shows, you always have to think on your feet. It's something you develop over the years. 
But what you really need more than anything is grit, the ability not to give up, even when it's got really tough. Stopping is not an option. Your favourite quote? Out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. Martin Luther King Jr. from his I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. on August the 28th, 1963. So much wisdom from one man, it's difficult to choose one thing. It is about never giving up. It is about when things look bad or insurmountable, there's always a stone of hope. Chip shop chips or home-baked cake? Oh, chip shop chips. Lots of salt and vinegar. Mere fish and chips is great. I always pop in there to grab some on my way to see friends. You have the power to pass one law tomorrow, uncontested. What would you do? I'd pass a law to allow me to pass a law every year, uncontested, so I have more time to think about what law would really make a difference. The ballet Under the Stars at Hatch House is on the 22nd, 23rd, which is sold out, and 24th of July in the beautiful 17th century walled Dutch garden of Hatch House, just north of Shaftesbury. For more information and tickets, simply Google Hatch House Ballet. James Herriot has a lot to answer for. It's Dorset Island Discs, featuring David Sidwick, Dorset's Police Crime Commissioner. David Sidwick was elected Police and Crime Commissioner for Dorset in May 2021. David was born and raised in Dorset, and his working life has been spent in the pharmaceutical industry. For nearly two decades, his company, STAC Consultancy, facilitated the education of more than 17,500 secondary care consultants in areas such as chronic pain, epilepsy, dementia and multiple sclerosis. While on holiday in the US, David and his wife visited a key shop which offered magic tutorials as a sideline. Of course it did. David has always been keen to learn and he immediately signed up. The owner of the shop then provided David and his wife with tickets for the Magic Castle in Los Angeles, a venue only open to registered magicians and their specially invited guests. The Harry Potter-esque experience of visiting this clubhouse of the Academy of Magical Arts cemented David's love of magic and led him, years later, to being paid £5,000 for his magic skills. In fairness, it wasn't a big show. He was working with a training company who was struggling to enliven a course on organisation and planning for pharma sale reps. David pitched the idea of doing it via a magic routine, and they accepted. Apart from politicians, David can put on his CV that he had dinner with Sir Terry Wogan, Sir Patrick Stewart, Raymond Blanc, Dan and Peter Snow, Rick Stein, George Lazenby, and Q. His favourite dinner date? Sir Terry Wogan, by a long way. What a lovely, lovely man. He just got slightly squiffy with my wife. Lady Wogan reassured me it happens all the time. And so to David's eight music choices, along with how and why they stuck in his life. First, the quartermaster's stores. My parents ran an off-licence, and their only time off throughout my childhood was Sunday afternoons, 2 to 7pm. This meant I spent lots of my free time with my grandparents and treasured Sunday afternoon trips with mum and dad. The Quartermaster Stores was a song we always sang in the car, and hearing it takes me right back to sitting on the back seat, heading home for, from a day in the Dorset countryside. The James Herriot theme. I grew up determined to be a vet. Until the age of 21, it was all I wanted to be. 
but just before my final exams, I was very unwell. I did the exams, but underperformed and failed to get the grades. Reassuringly, I was offered a place at Bristol to study anatomical science, with the plan of applying again to switch courses the following year. However, in the meantime, James Herriot appeared on the TV, and the world and his wife suddenly wanted to be a vet. Competition was so fierce, I never did get my vet placement, and after finishing my degree, I joined the pharma industry. James Herriot has a lot to answer for. Disc number three, Alleluia by Leonard Cohen. In the year 2000, my wife walked into a bar where I was drinking, and I fell in love. She is a huge Cohen fan, and this will always remind me of her. She supported me through three long years of full-time campaigning to be PCC. We fit, and I love her to bits. The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. I love a song with a story, and this is just a great tale of redemption. I learned over the years that I'm just a visual learner. It's one of the reasons that I often struggle with classical music. It's difficult to absorb unless I can see it visually too. Jerusalem. For me, this just resonates with everything I love about the Dorset countryside. In my farmer rep days, I would drive the length and breadth of the county, hunting down tiny villages to find the local GP surgeries. I developed a deep love of the special, quirky, often hidden parts of our county. It's that feeling that drives one of my main policing commitments. I'm aware that we really need to get things right for the enormous rural part of our county. Until this year, the rural crime team has been effectively a token gesture. It now has trebled in size and is being properly funded. Every Breath You Take by the Police Oh, this song just screams stalker, doesn't it? I know many perceive it as a love song, and Sting says it's for his daughter, but to me, it's just a personal representation of one of the most nasty crimes, and one which has only got worse as modern technology has developed. I'm determined to change the victim experience of stalking in Dorset. I have installed an independent advisor to help victims, and this year I asked the police to scrutinise the stalking protection orders, how they're used, and to be certain that they are correctly resourced. In times past, this was one of those crimes that was often shrugged off as nothing we can do, and this is simply no longer the case. Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody OK, I can't sing a note. I really can't, but I don't care. I'm a proud lover of karaoke, and this is the one I sing. No one ever faulted my ambition. In the movie of the same name, Freddie Mercury's life is openly intertwined with his drug use, and the song segues nicely as a representation of my work on drug issues. Dorset is one of the top ten areas of opioid and cocaine use in the UK. That's not a stat I'm proud of, and we're working from many angles to ensure we don't stay on the hit list. It's not a simple solution, obviously, but recently five PCCs working together saw an operation take £400,000 of drugs off the streets. In Dorset, with Operation Viper, we're addressing county lines, drug dealers and antisocial drug users, but there's still so much more to do. Apologies, slightly off my Bohemian Rhapsody track. Monty Python's The Bright Side of Life Because we all need some joy. We have to keep looking forward, staying positive. It's a silly, fun song, but also it's about a philosophy. I think we need to strive to be Winnie the Pooh, not Eeyore. And if the waves were to wash all your records away, but you had time to save just one, which would it be? Monty Python, I think. I'm stuck alone on a desert island. I'm going to need some cheering up. And your book? 
The Lord of the Rings, it, it's so much more than the classic tale of good versus evil. My favourite part of the books, I'm taking the complete collection in one volume and you can't stop me, is the part the movie franchise entirely skipped. It's a testament to our countryside and a cry against industrialisation. The part where the hobbits return to the Shire is one of the most powerful and resonant. And finally, your luxury item? Robinson Crusoe, the board game. I love board games. I have an occasional slot on Hope FM as their resident board game fanatic. It's a family activity and a slight obsession. I have a collection of 120, and I just love playing them. Unusually, you can play Robinson Crusoe as a one-player game, handy on my island, and I thought it might provide some useful hints and tips on survival too. And do join me and Terry next week for the next episode in the May podcast.